Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Well, hello, everybody. Good to be back with you back in the basement. Hey, today we've got a bit of a doozy. Uh, We are in John 13, and Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, which is this incredible act of humility, um, showing us how to be humble and commissioning his disciples to do likewise, to love one another. And he basically turns sort of their idea or their perception of what the hierarchy of life looks like. He says, I am teacher and Lord, and you call me that, and that's right. I am your teacher and Lord, but listen, I came to serve, and I want you to do the same thing. And so over this last week, uh, for those of us who listened last week, or or if you haven't heard it, um, please go uh, catch up. And we talked about our assurance of faith as well. Uh, we've been wrestling with this idea of humility as we've been meditating on this scripture, as well as finding confidence in the fact that uh, Jesus has called us by name, chosen us by name, and we have a opportunity to respond to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that he's saved us, that he's washed us, and now we can walk in the freedom of salvation. Today, though, we are going to overlap a little bit in what we talked about last week, Uh, We're going to start in verse, I think, 18. We'll start in 18, and then we'll work our way through to verse 30. So here we go. It says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, the one who sent me. Oh, receives me, receives the one who sent me. Excuse me. Verse 21, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one that one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclined at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom... I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, 
he immediately went out. And it was night. So really interesting text. Of course, it leans in on on Judas as the betrayer. And we've talked about Judas before here in the basement. And uh, we have talked about how he is... His name nowadays is synonymous with the word traitor, right? Um, it, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to be in a conversation and somebody say, hey, don't be a Judas or and meaning don't be a traitor, like maybe teasing or maybe in all seriousness, using his, wor- his name s- instead of the word traitor. And we know Judas's intentions um, we can see that in the Gospel of John. Like we've gone over it before. Uh, it was John 12, where it says, um, this is after um, Mary washes Jesus' feet with the perfume at um, Simon's house, after they're celebrating Lazarus, or, or celebrating together uh, after Jesus raises Lazarus, and um, or a little while after. He's celebrating with his friends. And... Uh, Judas, uh, sort of disgusted with this idea of her wasting this perfume, says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So we know that Judas had a greed issue. Right, he he was entrusted with the money, which again we're gonna we're gonna lean into that again. That Jesus is is all God, all man, uh, one of the three persons of God. Fa- the Father wills it all. Jesus, the Son, carries out the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the delight between the two. And Jesus, still being all God but all man, is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, and he knows what Judas is up to, but he entrusts him with the money bags anyway. Um, And obviously he has a greed issue. We also see in John 17 coming up that John refers to Judas um, within this text or, or referencing um, he says the son of perdition or the son of destruction, or Jesus mentions um, him that way. I'd have to look that up anyway. In John 17, it calls um, John or Judas the son of perdition, which can be translated the the son of destruction. So he's known as this sort of dark dude. And I think all of us, just like with this whole picture, like the Last Supper, um, we think of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper um, as what this looked like, where it's very different. I think we think of Judas as this dark and brooding character, but he was a friend. I think the reason why uh, Peter is asking, who could it be? Because this was a tight-knit group of people. They have loved each other and walked with each other, and they have so much shared experience together and following Jesus together. And I'm sure they had their issues um, just like anybody, but but they were close. And so it's shocking to hear Jesus say, not all of you um, have are clean. Not all of you are, are going to make it all the way. Not all of you are going to finish well. 
Um, and and this would be shocking, and that's why Peter is asking of of the one whom Jesus loved, which I'm not sure if you picked up on that, but that is John speaking of himself. Um, John never refers to himself, but John is there. So to go back to the Last Supper uh, by Leonardo da Vinci, uh, this this is very a very different picture than the reality. Um, A, the placement of the different characters within that painting. B, they didn't sit at a high-rise table. Back in that time, it says reclined. I think at one portion, yeah, it says one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclined at table at Jesus' side. So what this means, the table was very low set. Um, and they pretty much leaned on their left shoulder, um, laying on the floor, and so that they could use their right hand to eat, right? And so imagine Jesus and all these dudes laying around a table, enjoying the Passover, spending this time together. Again, this is not a short meal. This is like a three-hour-ish meal slash celebration. And... Judas is on one side. Judas is on one side. And John is on the other side. Um, and so these were places of honor. These were places of honor at the table. And so I want you to take note of that. Judas was sitting next to Jesus. Judas was put in a place of honor next to Jesus. This one who, who Jesus knew this whole way along that, that this man was going to betray him and that this would be essentially the last time that he's within his, his crew, his band. His, his, this was the last moment he was going to spend with Jesus in, in sort of this intimate friend, friendship um, moment with Jesus, and he puts Judas in his place of honor. If that doesn't raise any flag saying Jesus had some form of care and love for this guy, I don't, I don't know what, what will. But then it goes even further that as Peter is inquiring of who this betrayer may be, Jesus answers and says, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And I know that means nothing to us. But dipping the bread for a friend, and, and the dip was, was traditionally like this, this fruit paste. Um, it was like a fruit dip that they would dip the bread in. And if you dipped the bread and handed it to somebody, that was a... This whole meal was a, a a sharing of oneself, again, to bring us into the meal period, what that meant, a sharing of oneself. But then when you dip the bread for a friend, for someone and hand it to someone, it was a sign of deep friendship. And so he dips the bread and he hands it to Judas, to Judas, the one who, who, it has already, as it said at the beginning of verse or of chapter 13, it was already put in Judas's heart. He had already made arrangements. He had already set this all up. Like in Zechariah 11, where it prophesies about how much is God going to be worth? I encourage you to go read it. Uh, Zechariah 11, 
I have it written down here. 11, it's verses 12 and 13. Let me read it. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So it took, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So this is sort of a, a, a prophecy of how much is the Lord going to be worth. And Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Again, he's got this greed issue and he's close to him. He's close to Jesus. But Jesus, despite this, is holding him in this place of honor. He's he's saying to the other disciples, I call him friend, despite what's going to happen. He's literally saying somebody is going to betray me, but I am going to show him friendship before he does. Before he betrays me, I am going to show him friendship. And this this really does go into... Um, I love this. In Psalms 41, he, um, it, it's the scripture that, that Jesus is uh, quoting in verse 18 here, where it says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is from Psalms 41, and it's talking about a guy by the name of Ahithophel, Ahithophel. And this guy was a trusted advisor uh, and friend of David. And with his whole issue with Absalom, uh, Ahithophel, instead of taking David's side, he sides with Absalom because he sort of had his own plans and his own agendas, very similar to Judas, Right. But when David writes about this whole uh, issue being betrayed by his friend, he says, even my close friends, this is Psalms 41, verse 9, even my close friends in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. To go even further in, in Psalms 55, it says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. So we can see this passionate love that, and by passionate, I mean just a deep friendship and love for, for uh, I have trouble with this guy's name, Ahithrophel. Um, from David as he speaks of him as so close and a friend, and it's so hard to bear this. And and I've been I've been asking this question every single day 
um, for the last little bit because I'm just floored by Jesus in this moment. I don't understand how a omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God who knew from the start as he as he chose Judas. I I know he was fulfilling scriptures like Zechariah and and all of this stuff needed to be fulfilled, but but we see the extent of his love for Judas despite him being the son of perdition, the son of destruction. We see in the midst of this Jesus washes Judas's feet. He sits him next to him at the meal where they're celebrating the Passover. This is a long meal. This is a long couple of years of ministry and he's walking with this guy daily. He dips the bread and he hands it to him as as the final moment before Satan enters into him to go and betray Jesus. And this is the final hour that he gets to have with Judas and he is extending every form of love that he can. And even when Satan enters in, he says, go and do it quickly. Can you hear in his voice, his love for Judas? And I've been pondering this, God, how, how on earth did you love Judas? How did you love him? What? How, in knowing what he was going to do, how did you look him in the eye every single day? Because we as human beings have a hard time with this. And it's a big deal. Jesus talks about this in in Matthew 5, right? Uh, Sermon on the Mount. He's he's talking about, you have heard, uh, this is Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire, to the, to the hellfire. I, I experience maybe not outwardly this, this manifestation of what's going on in my heart. But sometimes, like as a human, just being honest, I struggle with this in this area of bitterness because we have this justice button, right? If somebody wrongs you, you can be mad at them. You can be angry at them. You can hold things against them. Revenge is even justified in so many areas of our culture, of our world. But Jesus is saying here, you holding things against people, you, you saying these things about others is not okay. We have to go all the way back to the garden and realize that humanity was made in the image of God. Human beings were made in his image and he created them to bear his image, to show his worship or to worship him and to show who he is on earth. We are all precious in his sight. And we see this play out with Judas. We see that the the son of perdition, the son of destruction, the traitor, is held with such high 
honor at this table, at the Passover meal. That Jesus is loving him until the end. He's extending love and grace to him until the end. Until what the scripture calls and it was night. I think that is both literal and figurative. That it was night in person. It was night. That was the the time of the day. But it had also become night for Judas. Because from this point, he betrays Jesus. He, He gets his silver and he ends up trying to hang himself. The rope breaks and he splats against the rocks. It is night for him from here on out that as Satan enters into him, as he has extended friendship and love and and served by Jesus for for the final hour, that, that it is night from here on out. And... And the fact that, that Jesus doesn't harbor bitterness, but he forgives. Like he holds this love for him. How does he not harbor the bitterness against Judas? How does he not hold it against him? Well, he's Jesus, right? He's Jesus. So what does that mean for us? If we are made in the image of God too, and we, we are are supposed to live and walk in the way of Jesus as we witness Jesus showing this incredible love and and compassion for Judas up until the end. What does that mean for us as we walk in his way, as we live in the way of Jesus? We heard from Matthew 5 that it's not good to hold things against people. It's not good to say any sort of slander against others. And in Hebrews 12, we we see also in verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. But by many, it may become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So he's comparing this root of bitterness with a lack of blessing, that as, as Esau he sold his birthright, right? He was in a sense tricked, but he didn't value his birthright. Jesus is always concerned about the heart and he's addressing the heart of Esau. And if we have this heart of Esau that we're just flipping about this idea of of being bitter and holding things against people, we are we are in a sense um, not not going to receive the blessing that Jesus has for us, that God has for us, that his spirit has for us. So it, with this blessing in store of living in the fullness and the freedom of salvation sort of at stake here, not that we're not saved, we are saved. Um, our sins have been dealt with, but but we we are guilty of hellfire. We are guilty if we hold things against people and we let bitterness root in our heart. We are guilty of hellfire and we are losing a blessing that we could be having in Christ Jesus, in the person of Jesus. 
So how do we practically apply this? It says in Ephesians 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God to whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. So that's the key. That's the key right there. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. Okay, but how? Along with malice. But how? And then here's the key in verse 32. It says, be kind to one another. What is kindness? Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness. Invite the Holy Spirit into this process. When we see words like that, when we see the words that are the fruit of the Spirit, right? The the things that the Spirit bears in our life, not our flesh, but the Spirit bear in our life, that immediately should trigger in our minds, oh, the Spirit needs to be involved in this. So invite the Spirit to help us. Invite the Spirit, God, would you grow kindness in me? Would you grow kindness in me? Being tender-hearted, tender-hearted. Who softens the heart of men? Who softens the heart of men? God does. Invite God into this process. God, would you soften my heart? Forgiving one another. When it comes to forgiveness, I think what is very, very helpful is, of course, one of the parables So as we wrap this up, I want to read this to you. It's in Matthew 18, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This was something he couldn't do, 10,000 talents. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed 
and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should repay all his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is painted in this picture. And back in Ephesians 4, we see it says, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we forgive others? It's by witnessing the forgiveness that, that God has bestowed on us, how God has given us grace and mercy in spite of our shortcomings, how we have fallen short of the glory of God and rebelled against him in everything that we are. And now when we come to Jesus and by his blood on the cross, him dying in our place and his blood washing us clean, we can come and be in the presence of God and say, God, would you fill us? And would you perfect us? We have betrayed others. We have been betrayed. I'll tell you what, I have done so much repenting in this last week, going through these texts and, and meditating on this and trying to understand and wrap my head and my heart around these things. I have done so much repenting because the posture of my heart is wrong. And I see how God has forgiven me and how, how come I can't forgive others? How come bitterness is so easily rooted in my heart? And it's so hard to uproot. It's so hard. If you think about a tree, how do you uproot a tree? Don't let it grow into something like a tree. Deal with it. Talk to them. Ask for forgiveness forgive them. And even if they're not hip to it, even if they're not, they don't go along with it and forgive you or, 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 or there's no reconciliation still on your end for your sake between you and God, for the blessings he would bestow on you, for the image that you bear, could we be a people that love others and forgive others no matter what? No matter what they are doing, no matter what they're going to do, just like Jesus loving Judas to the end, could we, in witnessing the love and grace of God, how despite us, he loves us and fills us and forgives us? Could we be a people that live like Jesus, that love like Jesus, that by his power and his spirit and the redemption of the cross, could we be a people that show the world what forgiveness looks like? Could we be a people that uproot bitterness in our own hearts and our lives? I'm going to take time. Uh, Philemon is a book that really, a book of the Bible that really leans into this idea of forgiveness. 
And I'm going to take some time this week to read through it and meditate on it. And I encourage you to do the same. That as, as we take some time to figure out, God, how, how do we truly forgive? How do we truly uproot bitterness in our lives? Would you do that with me? Would you read Philemon? And would you meditate on the word of God? Would you ask the spirit to be a part of this process in giving us kind and tender hearts and forgiving others? And please, please, please don't forget to look at who Jesus is. It's not what we can do that transforms us, but it is the person of Christ and the spirit of Christ that changes and transforms us. Let's love like Jesus to the end just like Christ loved Judas. Be blessed and and encouraged by this, by the word of God, by the person of Jesus this week. I love you guys. Uh, Looking forward to talking again next week.